Hello, and welcome to the Theological Family Ministry Podcast, a podcast for parents as well as children and youth ministry leaders. We are dedicated to showing how theological study and biblical application relate to the discipleship of children and youth. As always, we're hosted by Pastor Ben Palaz, the pastor of Family and Children's Discipleship at Curtis Baptist Church in Augusta, Georgia, and Tony Trussoni, the family and student pastor at Faith Family Church in Finksburg, Maryland. Hey, Ben, how are you doing this afternoon after a short break? Uh, I'm doing well. I'm, I'm recharged and ready to go. That's good. So, you know, this podcast won't be uh, recorded uh, until late summer. So we'll pretend right now that we're out, you know, on a beach somewhere or, you know, out by the pool uh, that we'll just imagine that right now. But that's not what's happening in reality right now. Correct. <laughs> uh, we're a little, a little short of that, though, Lord willing, I, I will be heading to the beach soon, but we'll see how that goes. That's good. <laughs> That'll be fun. So, uh, well, our, in summer is just beginning. And last summer, actually, an interesting experience we had uh, was uh, we got to go to a, um, a museum for the circus in Wisconsin, like kind of the like national circus museum. And we got to interact with some donkeys and some elephants. And uh, this fall, everyone in America is going to get to interact with donkeys and elephants, correct? <laughs> yes. And <laughs> yes, I, I was like, where is he going with this? <laughs> uh, yes, that is true. Uh, more than we will we'll get. We'll just be filled up with, with them. <laughs> and of course, they will be different kind of donkeys and elephants. Uh, but uh, some people will be less excited about interacting with those donkeys and elephants. Uh, you can't pet them and stuff. You cannot. Probably especially now with coronavirus. <laughs> that is true. So, well, uh, obviously, we're given a way that we're talking about politics, which, I mean, politics is kind of like people aren't sensitive about this at all, right? This isn't a hard topic at all, correct? Not at all. I mean, that's what you talk about in, in all polite company. Exactly. Uh, so I do want to ask you to kind of start off our conversation about politics. Has your church ever put a member of the Free Soil Party under church discipline? To my knowledge, no. We have been around since 1876, so I have not read all the minutes yet. Um, so uh, has yours? <laughs> No, it hasn't. Uh, Free Soil Party uh, uh, left existence before that, so uh, had kind of become part of the Republican Party. Uh, but no, they have not uh, disciplined any member of the Free Soil Party. Uh, but that being said, uh, I have heard of other party um, party members, people that are part of more notable party, Republican or Democrat party, uh, being put under church discipline for their political affiliation in churches, or just basically asked to leave the church. So unfortunately, I think that has actually happened, but uh, I thought I'd end on a lighter note, considering, you know, nobody has really strong opinions about Martin Van Buren, who w ran for president under the Free Soul Party. Yeah, these days, uh, Martin has, uh, he's kind of faded from the background. Yeah, so nobody has uh, Martin Van Buren stickers on the back of their car. No, but that could become a thing again. You should, <laughs> should get a whole side company going. I should totally. Well, apart from long dead political movements, why is politics such a touchy issue today? 
Well, I think people attach ultimate causes to politics, and they can have very strong opinions of how things should be, because that's partly what politics touches on, and how things should be. Uh, another thing, we've increasingly lost the ability to disagree well, uh, and it seems especially in America, I think probably in the West generally, and so with the rise of tolerance, you know, it's this fake tolerance. Um, tolerance is not a compliment. It's just sort of I'll put up with it. But it's become redefined. And it's, if you disagree with me, you're not just wrong or even you're not just stupid. You're evil and you're a hater if you don't see it the way I do because my way is the right way. Um, and so it's just led to like an unraveling of the situation. But what, what are your thoughts on it? Yeah. So I definitely think people attach so much identity to it today. Uh, and, uh, and I think also this can be very deeply personal politics, you know. Sometimes it's not just an obscure part of people's lives. So say, for example, by no stretch am I endorsing, uh, that anything and giving the descriptions. But, you know, if you're a homosexual who, want, who wanted to get married five, ten years ago, uh, I mean, the politics in that sense would be a deeply personal thing, a deeply relevant thing for who you are and how you live your life. Uh, or even, you know, perhaps you are uh, living on working under a military contract uh, where you're not deemed kind of the essential bare bones military parts of the budget. I, I think that is deeply relevant to your life for figuring out how you're going to pay, you know, your mortgage and how your lifestyle is going to be determined. Uh, but also, I think, so, yeah, you talked about not disagreeing well. Social media and media uh, in general, I mean, even, you know, that even the big networks have tended to create a kind of tribalism. You know, there's kind of like my tribe is the Republican tribe or Democrat tribe. I'm not telling anyone what my uh, political affiliations are. Just for the record, I personally am opposed to doing that. You're a free that. soil guy, right? Yeah, I'm free soil. So, yeah, so. <laughs> Anyway, uh, I used to be part of the Whig Party, but I was convinced otherwise. <laughs> uh, the, and I think the two-party system involves this kind of inherent dichotomy, you know. Uh, and not every country has just two parties. And there's a reason for two parties, historically. But when there's just kind of this party versus that party, and every both the parties take their own stance on each issue, it becomes, you know, you're completely with us, you're completely against us, which is unfortunate. It is. A friend of mine lives in Norway, and he was telling me about uh, they have a party there that's like a Save the Wolves party, like the Arctic Wolves. And so, um, you know, they just have a – they don't have the two-party system like we do, and so they have all these different options. So the, the Wolf Party sounds pretty cool too. Yeah, definitely. So that yeah, that sounds like Bull Moose Party would have been a great party too. Party. <laughs> it didn't last long, but you know that being caught called Bull Moose Party would have been pretty awesome. It does. It just has a powerful sound to it. Good old Teddy. So <laughs> now, should Christians, in light of all this, just be apolitical, not care whatsoever about politics? I don't think so. Now, some Christians have disagreed and said we should just completely disengage. Um, I don't think that's what we're – the responsibility we have as followers of Jesus. Um, I think it can be a way of loving our neighbor to, to be engaged. Yeah. I, I'd add to that, you know, all is under the dom dominion of Christ. And if everything is under the dominion of Christ as the great king, I, I think clearly they believe in separation of church and state. 
but nothing becomes uh, irrelevant to our lives in that kind of sense. Everything in this world matters because Christ is the great king. Uh, I, I think some political issues are biblical issues. There are indeed, even on our day, some things that politicians talk about that the Bible speaks about. And even more in the past, you know, uh, slavery certainly was a biblical issue. I think it's probably wise to also participate in democratic efforts. You know, I, I don't think this is a command, but I think it, I think Christians probably should be involved in democracy to some extent or another. That's, that's a good word. Are most American Christians, by your observation, too apolitical? Or could the opposite perhaps be true? I don't know about most because I don't know most Christians. Um, I know many who are not too apolitical, uh, and I think that the opposite is true. Uh, too many people are – they're too tied up emotionally with it, and I've been in that place too. And I, I can see things, and I can have a, this visceral emotional response to something I see or uh, something I, I read. But uh, yes, I think it, it tends towards – being the opposite that people are just uh the tribalism and uh there's yeah there's a lot more we could say that we'll talk about probably in a few minutes i would definitely agree that very few are too apolitical i'm sure that there are some again we don't know uh between ben and i we only know 49.9 percent of all christians on the planet so we don't even know half you know uh, <laughs> that's not true so. we could start doing zoom meetings to expand that but yeah I think we value it too much, though. I think more often than not, politics can be valued too much by Christians in general. Yeah. So, so why do we root so much of our identity and our political alignment? I think because we often we tie those ultimate causes, we tie it to right and wrong. Um, and as Christians, we're thinking about what pleases God. And so that factors in and we can sort of throw the God card down. And think, oh, well, and people have been doing this for a long, long time. This is not a brand new development. Um, I think also power and influence is addictive. And so as people, they see kind of their their tribe, their crowd, the, the people they think are right being in power. Oh, well, then we could push these things through. And I've seen even – I don't know, the last decade, uh, some things where Christians were opposing certain measures that they really, I, I thought, should have been in favor of. Uh, I guess a specific example, they didn't want a mosque to be built in a certain place. Um, and really, that's curtailing religious freedom. And we should be interested in people having the right to, to build a mosque or a Buddhist temple or a Sikh whatever. Um it's just as much as someone building a, a church building because um, if the Christians are in power and they can say, well, no, the Sikhs can't mm -hmm. build their place or the Muslims or whoever else, if, if the, the balance of power changes, um, you know, our head's going to be on the chopping block. And so anyway, it, I think that some of those things factor in and yeah, it just leads to a lot of, a lot of turmoil. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I want to add those. That's all good, but I think some, oftentimes we uh, root our identity because we tend to think that the temporary issues are the most important ones. So, mm -hmm. as an example, you know, one political debate that people have is tax exemptions for corporations, for example. Uh, and I'm not going to. I'm using that as an example uh, because people are probably less 
up in arms over that. It is important, as with all political issues, it's important to some people and to everyone to some degree or another. Uh, but the reality is that, you know, when we make our identity in something like that, rather than focusing on the eternal kingdom, uh, on evangelism that has these kinds of rippling uh, effects into eternity, uh, I think that we've kind of rooted our identity in these temporary, temporary things rather than that which is actually lasting. Yeah, yeah, that's a really good point. So how might families pass down political idols to their kids? Uh, or how might they push away their kids from the faith because of political idols? Well, and I'm interested to hear your thoughts on this because you and I have had a number of political discussions over the years. And just a, I don't know, this is a spoiler, but you and I disagree on a number of political things as well. Um, though you've, you've prompted me to think, and I don't think we've ever, you know, like gotten in a fight or anything um, about it. So thank the Lord for that. But I think that families can attach specific policy positions to the Christian faith uh, as the only option. Now, I think there are some exceptions on some issues that are just really, really morally clear. Um, and that's a fairly narrow set that we're talking about there. Um, but even some of those examples um, where there are people who would be in favor of such sinful things, they recognize what's happening. They don't try to shade over and they say, well, yeah, this is this is the the action that, that we are for, but the the reason is because, say, a woman's right to do whatever she wants with her body at any point in any time, that is supreme. Um, I'm talking about the issue of abortion. Uh, that one, it's just a really morally clear example. But there's a lot of issues like you know health insurance and uh, how that system should be set up, um, taxation, campaign finance reform, <laughs> endangered species, you know, um, energy, um, land and soil conservation, which, by the way, I have received votes in multiple uh, elections in different states. And actually, you voted for me for land and soil conservation, something in, I don't know, Kentucky or uh, Jefferson County or something. Because <laughs> <laughs> in college, a friend had, had done the same thing, and I told you about it before you went to the polls, and then... I think it was 2012, and then you voted for me. So I appreciate your vote, Tony. Okay. <laughs> um, but education, gun rights, I mean there's just so many different things where the Bible does not spell out this is what you do. Um, or the stuff with the – I can't remember the terminology used for it, but like how uh, much bandwidth they're using. Should they be charged more? You know, all these kind of things. I don't think that there's one Jesus Bible-mandated position on each of those issues. Those are complex things that they're um, – I think if we looked at it for a minute, even for not that long and took an honest review, we'd say, well, no, there's not just one Bible verse we can point to that solves this. And you know, especially if we have these kind of views and we look at others who disagree and see them as you know enemies of the faith – when they're actively working with the devil, uh, it could push our kids away in time, especially as they develop their own understanding of these things. They encounter people who see it differently and maybe who are compelling. So, um, yeah, what do you think? By the way, for the political uh, disagreements we had, I do want to let you guys know that we have purely fiercely different views on silver coinage. Uh, and so the silver coinage controversy of the 19th century, that that's a big debate we have, right, Ben? <laughs> that's right. 
Yeah. There's strong language used in that discussion we had. Now, obviously. Yeah, we almost had a duel. <laughs> That's great. Uh, I think an example, a negative example of this kind to this question would be, I remember I was in years ago, I was in a uh, meeting of some church leaders and one of it, a church leader in that church uh, was kind of sharing a concern on his heart about uh, he had a uh, an adult daughter that had really he was describing the ways that you know he's just kind of dealt dealt with you know it's not ideal but she's doing all these things that are inconsistent with the Christian life and you know but but we're we're okay we you know we're, we're content in that but uh, their hearts were as parents were really broken because they found out that their adult daughter was going to vote for a certain democratic candidate for office and uh you know and they they just feel felt like you know there's no the basically the, she's spiritually gone now because she's a democrat because she's officially a democrat and, and i think that is a telltale sign that idolatry is becoming the case there would you agree with that i think that's a really really powerful example i i I guess a similar thing um it didn't so much involve the children but um it happened after we left but a church that we had both been a part of where there was voting going on about uh healthcare legislation and there was like a prayer meeting about how um the 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 christian position on this you know even if you disagreed on what happened or what was being proposed, um, it's hard to, you know, pull that out of Philippians or First Kings or anywhere else. Um, so that I was think that kind of attitude. I think, though, caring more about passing down political values, like in that example that I gave earlier, than a deep seriousness of the faith is actually more common than we might believe. And I think it is an example of how families might uh, prioritize their political idols in that sense. And that's not to say, you know, that I know many Christian families that would, they want their kids to be, you know, quote unquote Christians, but, but realistically, you know, they would be more bothered by a child that is kind of apathetic in their, they would be less bothered by a child that's apathetic in their faith, but is seriously committed to their Republican or Democratic cause that they were taught from their parents than a child that disagrees with them politically that is on fire for the Lord. Uh, I think it's a shame that many times the form, the latter case would bother parents far more. And I think that's an example of idolatry. Yeah, it's taking uh, implications of what they understand to, to flow out of uh, the gospel and the Christian life and making those things the ultimate thing. Yeah. Um, I've heard someone talk about that in context with like Mennonites and folks like that, that they kind of took the, the – the stuff they thought you should do because you believe uh, and made those the thing. And, yeah. you know, and I think another way that we can see families making, uh, making politics idols can actually relate to uh, what we talked about in the podcast that was recorded just before this to give you guys some uh, behind the uh, scenes. Look, even though it's not in order, we just had recorded a discussion about Bible reading with your families with John Nielsen and I, I know of many families that, that can't find time to read the Bible at the dinner table, but can find the time to rant about politics at the dinner table. And, you know, and I think if that might, if that fits, the shoe fits in that case, perhaps as an example of political idolatry. Uh, and I think 
also another way is when we fail to see the hypocrisy and our values and our pol- and the politicians that we endorse. So, you know, I, I think that Christians can support those who have different lifestyles and values in them themselves. But when Christians are quick to defend the actions that are unbiblical of politicians that are on their side and quick to condemn similar action from politicians that are on the other side, I think that can, that kind of hypocrisy can, I think, show an idolatry in their faith, actually. Uh, yeah. So, that, yeah. I mean, that's, that's well said. I'm not going to name names of any politicians that I'm referring to, by the way. So, well, because you honestly, you could multiply examples, but yeah. <laughs> yes, you could. <laughs> um, yeah. So. I think also portraying faith as kind of an extension of politics, which I think can be easy to not do, you know, that the, you know, and I think this happens with both parties. I know of people that would say, you know, part of being a Christian is to make sure that you vote uh, for the Democratic candidate. I know of Christian leaders, even affiliated with the, a, um, that a place of academia that we both know of that would say that, you know, essentially that Christians should universally vote republican right now yeah i mean you can you can find it on both sides well what does the bible say about political involvement then it tells you you know who to vote for um you know all that um no i think it the bible should inform how you vote but how that actually how you move from page of the Bible to the ballot is a complicated thing. And I haven't worked all of that out myself, but it tells us to obey the governing authorities and, and give them honor unless we're obeying them into sin. I think that's something that, um, people on both sides could, uh, could pay a lot of attention to. Cause I know with the current president, there are some who, claim the name of Christ, who absolutely, and I think they genuinely hate him and yep. have said all sorts of awful things um, on the internet about him. Um, at the same time, or eight years before, uh, or four years, whatever, um, people you know, said the same thing about the previous president, and then the previous president before that, and the previous one before that, um, and just, just absolutely trashing them. Um, and while, yes, you, you, we have a system where you are free to disagree, you can still do it in a respectful way and say, well, I, I think he did a bad job here. I think this was unwise. I think what he did was unrighteous, you know, whatever. But um, just the profanity-laced uh, rants, it's like, come on. You, 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 that's not what Christians do. Um, we're told to pay taxes even to evil rulers that may use the money in, in bad ways. Um, I mean, Caesar was, he was not a boy scout um, in most of the Caesars. Um, a number of people who feared the Lord worked in government in scripture. Now this is a little different, but I mean, King David and other righteous Kings, they were involved politically. Um, and now they were the King. Uh, but also you've got Obadiah working with evil King Ahab, um, Nehemiah, Mordecai, Daniel and his friends. Now they were probably, you know, compelled into service, yeah. but <laughs> You know, but still, it wasn't that they had to, to to die to be obedient to the Lord. They could still honor the Lord working for uh, the government. Roman soldiers with John the Baptist, they, they were coming out, and and he didn't say, "Well, you you need to give up your armor and everything." He told them how to be a Roman soldier um, in the fear of the Lord. 
Paul, it says in Acts 19 that he had friends who were officials of the government. Now, that could just be they were his his buds. Maybe they were Christians. You know, I'm not sure. I haven't researched that carefully. But, um, I mean, it does tell us um, – I think it's possible to be politically engaged and still honor the Lord. But ultimately, we're citizens of another kingdom. Yeah. I think your point uh, from Jesus' interaction to people would basically boil down to Jesus was not Ron Swanson from Parks and Recreation. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Uh, so there's a couple things I that stood out to me in Scripture on this. Um, and one, I, I can think of 1 Timothy uh, 1 through 2, uh, two uh, that where it encourages some obedience and submitting to the government leaderships and even praying for political leaders that, you know, are not strong Christians, you know, uh, and not acting the way that people do towards our president or the previous one or how they treated Martin Van Buren a long time ago. So uh, that... You know, I, w- I would give a call back to that. Uh, and Philippians 3.20, to what you said at the end, our citizenship is in heaven, and from what we await our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We are not first Americans. We are not first Republicans or Democrats. We are first citizens of the great kingdom. Um, but then I, I think lastly of Acts 22.25, uh, a case where Paul was being abused, uh, and by basically people were violating the law as as a form of persecution against the, uh, the apostle Paul. And Paul said, when they stretched him out for the whips, Paul said to the centurion who was standing by, "Is it lawful for you to flog a man who is a Roman citizen and uncondemned?" So he knew the law and he stood up for what was right. He, in some sense, he was politically engaged in that passage. Uh, and I don't think the Bible condemns that by any stretch. So, mm-hmm. well, what, yeah. Well, apart from obviously the Bible's clear stance on silver coinage, what modern political issues does a biblical theology objectively address? <sighs> this, I guess, this would be an area of um, disagreement among some. But I, I mean, I was trying to rack my brain on things where. And so I'm interested to hear what you say. One thing that came to mind was this hard form of nationalism. Mm. Um, and just like we were talking about, this ultimately is not our home. We are not first Americans. We are first citizens of the kingdom of God. And we have more in common with our brother and sister in Iran, in one sense, than we do with our neighbor next door who agrees with us politically but who does not follow the king. Um, another one I, I mentioned, but the, the respect for leaders, whether we like them or not, um, I, I think abortion falls into that category. The Bible addresses that clearly. I'm hesitant to mention more that we say that objectively addresses, and maybe just they're not coming to mind. But what, what do you think? Yeah, so I would definitely say abortion, and and I think to be very crystal clear. I think a Christian that respects the Bible must, therefore, and that's not saying it's a salvation issue, but I think it's the implication of the faith and obedience issue. I think that we must say that the murdering of the unborn, that the ending of the life of the unborn, those created in the image of God, already in the image of God in the womb, is wrong. Uh, and so I think that impacts your politics today i think some other other uh ones would be the bible talks so much especially in leviticus about welcoming exiles 
Uh, and now like, that doesn't mean that it, the Bible gives a specific stance on what on what you should do for border po- patrol and whatnot. But I think the Bible is cr- that we do debate. There's debates on how we should even re- react to ex- exiles and uh, aliens and refugees. And I think the Bible is clear that Christians ha- seek to have a welcoming within reason perspective and treat them as humans made in the image of God again, not, you know, as canon fodder for political disagreements. Um, and I think the Bible is consistently teaches about, even especially in Proverbs 31, about justice for the poor. And that, again, what that means is harder to navigate, but I think Christians should always seek to have the same level of justice uh, for those who are disenfranchised as those who have uh, many opportunities on their own. Uh, but I think with all of these, I'm I'm being very vague, and I'm being very vague for a reason, because I don't think the Bible prescribes a strategy on any of these. So even you look to abortion, Christians are almost all pro-life, evangelical Christians are for a reason. Uh, but I don't think the Bible, I mean, there's really debates on how we go about that, because realistically, we can't, we're not in a situation where tomorrow abortion will be made illegal and, and prosecutable in America. That's not going to happen. And so there's debates among Christians about about what strategy we have and you know and i know some christians that would even say that uh you know that a partial bans on abortion like things that make it harder uh don't actually deal with the main issue uh and so i think our strategy on how we handle this kind of issue is not spelled out by scripture uh but i think the bible does give us some clear principles there yeah, and that's I, I appreciate the, the care that you're taking to just present some issues, but to then to say, but how you actually put that into policy and what kind of policies you should promote or contact your congressman or this kind of thing, it's not a what well, says in Ephesians four two. Yeah, I mean the Bible was not addressing those kinds of questions. It's more of a matter of sound judgment and yeah, yeah. So well and. What happens if we treat the many other Christian wisdom issues in politics as if they have clear biblical answers? So, for example, uh, it's a Christian wisdom issue on taxation. Uh, what if we treat that as a biblical issue? One thing that comes to mind is that those who are maybe more intellectually curious or just those who disagree might write us off uh, offhand. Um, that you know you you must be saved by faith and holding such and such position mm-hmm. on taxation policy, um, and obviously nobody would say that. But if you act that way, one thing you're endangering the gospel, but you're you're bringing uh, discredit to the gospel possibly. And maybe you got someone who's already a Christian, but you could bring unnecessary division. Um, you should divide if someone is saying, well, Jesus is not really the only way to God or he's not fully divine or things like that. Um, but if someone has a different position than you on taxation, you don't need to go find a new church or I, at least you shouldn't. Um, I think you can also foster pride and animosity in general, um, with those who disagree, but, uh, those certainly aren't the only things. What, What do you think? I think there's some good. I don't have much to add. I will just say that I think people, like you point out, people will notice we're stretching scripture. And I think 
that people will become jaded in Christianity, suspecting we are using Christianity as more of a weapon to advance our worldview rather than something that determines our worldview. How do Christians, even as families, practice agreeing to disagree with brothers and sisters in Christ on political matters? Have honest conversations um, and ask a lot of questions. Don't make assumptions. Uh, and try to give them the benefit of the doubt that they have good intentions and not evil ones. You know, often we can, it seems to be increasingly so that we can assume that those that disagree with us, they have these sinister intentions. Um, but, it's, you know, when you're interacting with another Christian, assuming that they want to please the Lord and, and starting from there. Now, it may prove that they don't, but trying to give them that that grace up front. Yeah, so. I would just add, make sure that you have Christian friends on the other political side. Uh, and, uh, mm, and it's good. Yeah. And I think if you don't, if you're a Christian adult and you don't have Christians that are on the different party or different opinions, even within your party, then I think you should ask yourself why you don't. And I think it's very possible in introspection you'll see an idol in your heart. Uh, I like that. And I think we honor politicians you would not vote for. And again, this is, <laughs> I, if we, if Obama was our president now, if Trump, Trump is our president now, regardless, you can disagree with them strongly and you cannot vote for them, uh, some, uh, one for reelection. Uh, but we show honor to them and respect even in the household, uh, for those that God is allowed to be in polit- political leadership. Uh, and I think don't treat this as a taboo, as a taboo issue. Uh, you know, we talked about how, you know, this is something you're not supposed to talk to, uh, but actually have debates and hugs around the next generations, you know, and I think that has such an impact when we don't, it's not just that I have, you know, my friend that's of the different political party, but that my kids are going to see me, you know, having these debates, but then, you know, hugging it out and then, you know, enjoying a burger together with this friend with no hostility between us. I think that makes such an impact on how our kids can see we can agree to disagree as Christians. That's a yeah, really good point. And you think about it too. Most of us are not in the position to actually make the changes happen. Now, by our vote, we do have some voice in it, but neither one of us are elected officials or appointed officials in the government. And so we can hold our opinions, but that's what they are, opinions. We're not actually like duking it out to see who's, whose policy is going to win. Yeah. And so we just kind of need to take a step back and that look is- at reality. That is true. That is until uh, Tony Tristoni, uh, see uh, that ceases being a pastor and becomes instead a minority whip in the se- in the uh, Senate. So <laughs> there you go. Yeah, uh, the okay. So, what are some signs politics has become an idol in their, our our homes? Hmm. I think there could be many. One that comes to mind is that we mainly watch. A cable news network like that's the main intake of media in our house and even more particularly that it's the same network um i think that could reveal and it could be on both sides um and i mean i've i've heard a guy talk about this in an interview 
and even the ads that are on different networks, what you'd see on Fox News is uh, the kinds of commercials are a lot different than what you'd see on like MSNBC because they know who their viewers are and they're appealing to the fears and, and all those kinds of things that those groups have. And so trying to get some sense of, of balance I think is helpful uh, because really they're not objective reporters of the news. They have 24 hours to fill. They're giving commentary, and they want your eyeballs. And so they're going to give the people what they want. And and so um, anyway, enough said about that. But uh, you know, maybe your blood pressure goes up and you get angry when you hear about someone uh, that, that disagrees with you. Um, another thing, you, you kind of mentioned this a minute ago, or alluded to it, but if our kids make comments of disrespect, like is nothing about some leader that we don't like, and it's because they've heard us trashing whoever it is, um, that should be something that should get our attention to say, you know, wait a minute, I need to take stock. Yeah. What are you, what are your thoughts on that? Those are some good words. So, um, one thing, this might seem weird, uh, but I think if the presidential election or your Senate election is more important than your elder election for the elder in your local church, I think that you have made a politics an idol in your home. That seems obscure, but I think it means that when we don't have that perspective, it means we don't see Christ's kingdom as the greatest kingdom. And we don't see uh, the local church as an embassy of a far greater kingdom than, you know, any kingdom in this world. So. Uh, that, uh, so I, another, so I'll add my powerful statement after yours. Uh, the, uh, I, I think another would be, you know, if Thanksgiving is awkward because of politics, that might be a sign that politics have become an idol in your home. You know, if it's uncomfortable when you have the uncle or, or, you know, the cousin that's part of a different political party, which happens, uh, it might be a sign that I, and it's funny because like, this is a, the, um, you know, this is kind of a trope that's in like sitcoms all the time and stuff like that because people in our broader society have made politics an idol. But if you're a Christian and those tropes are true to life, it might be a sign that you're an idolater in your home. So. <laughs> you might be an idolater. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> but if another one, if you make your party leader a hero of sorts for your family. And if you make uh, the political opponents of your party the devil, basically, I think you have all also made politics an idol. And that's not to say, like, dude, I, I will say an obscure president that uh, I've really loved studying because, you know, his views have no impact on politics today has been John Quincy Adams. Uh, and I like John Quincy <laughs> Adams and studying him. Uh, but I know his family, actually. <laughs> Do you? Seriously. Descendants? I do. Wow. That's cool. Uh, but anyway, I mean, that's not to say we can't honor them or have a high opinion of them, but, you know, this kind of hero worship, when they're more important to us as a figure for our family than, say, you know, the biblical figures are, is a problem. That's, yeah, I like that. What do we do then if our teen follows the politician you don't like on Instagram, to be fair, I am not up with the modern social media. I don't even know if we can follow somebody like a politician on Instagram, but you guys get the gist of the question. Yeah. When I read that, I thought, 
not even like thing politicians do, but I'm I'm sure that uh, I and I have an Instagram account that's not used very much. Uh, I'm sure some of the new up and coming ones, you know, they they have it. Uh, I don't know if Mitch McConnell and Nancy Pelosi if they do, but um, I'm pretty sure Alexandria Askio Cortez is on it. I would I would imagine. Um, I think you just take away their phone. You just take away the problem. Uh, no, I think you, in some ways you let it ride. Um, I, and you want, again, you want to ask questions, ask what it is they like about the politician. Is it the person just has funny posts or they're cool or all their friends are doing it? Or is it that some idea or things they stand for that they admire? Just asking them and having a conversation about it and not being, you know, hostile. Like, what do you like about that? That evil person. Um, I, and yeah, you're just, you're having a relationship with the kids, seeing what it is that is drawing them. Good. So, uh, one thing I do want to add in general, actually, before responding to my question, we sh- need to be very winsome about politics and social media. Uh, when talking about politics and social media, I think this is such a super important thing. Uh, you know, I've heard it said that, uh, when pastors talk about politics in the pulpit, uh, what they've done is they've kind of shut down half of the congregation, you know, to the, to hearing anything else they have to say. And I mm-hmm. think social media can have that effect. I, I, so I generally don't take political stances on social media beyond what scripture overtly says. And I think sometimes as even as general Christians, anything that would alienate some somebody or speak ill of the other political party in a way that would really shut down our ability to share the gospel is unwise for us to put on social media. Uh, just a thought. So, but I want to add then for that specific situation, which this has happened, I actually know of situations where, you know, where social media has been a way to expose different political alignments. I think we should wait until level heads prevail to even address it because it's easy to get really angry over politics and our kids disagreeing with us. Uh, don't, you know, berate your kids over different political stances. Uh, and I think listen to why they disagree with you on this and try to learn even from your, your teenager or your kid, uh, that, you know, has less experience and has probably never even voted. Uh, because, you know, perhaps there is some good motivations behind it, even if you disagree with them and respectfully engage. You should talk. I think it's wise to talk to your kids about your political stances. You don't want to hide it. It's you know, it's something you think and you feel, but respectfully engage them on those kind of things uh, if you would like. But don't, you know, but don't sweat it. You know, don't make it a big deal because it's not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good wire, good wisdom. Uh, now, how do we teach young people about politics while avoiding idolatry or divisiveness? And specifically when young people, I'm thinking, how do we teach this to three month olds? Kidding. <laughs> Um, I think just there's a general tenor of emphasizing the priority of the church and God's kingdom. And that's, that's more than just one lesson on this. It's just, it it infuses how you're teaching, how you're making application, uh, and just reminding them to set their gaze on the things above where Christ is. And, And you mentioned it much earlier in the conversation uh, that we can tend to think of the things that are here present now as the most important things and forget that there are more ultimate things that are unseen. 
And all of us fall prey to that. I mean, I remember even just as this coronavirus stuff started, I thought, oh, man, the giving's going to dry up at the church. I'm going to lose my job. What am I going to do? And it was one of those, the things that are before me seemed more pressing. It wasn't political, but it, it, it is applicable. Uh, but we just emphasize the priority of the church and God's kingdom. I think you do teach them about the role of government and God's purposes and our responsibilities within that. And and talk about that these are – just bring up that these are issues of wisdom and sound judgment, not issues of righteousness and sin in general. Um, we are not living under the old covenant, and so you know the, all the uh, – Litigation or not litigation, uh, legislation is not spelled out for us if you know our neighbor's ox falls into a ditch and these kinds of things. But yeah, that we have to grow in wisdom, and so uh, to to make the, the most informed, wise decisions, we need to have scripture shaping our conscience. But we're pointing them to the the more important things. But I, I'm interested to hear what you have to say on this. That's good. Uh, so. I, I want to add a couple things. I think we should expose them to fair uh, representation of those who disagree with them, uh, us, mm, and, you know, and really each side, you know, and something objective, not something, you know, uh, we don't teach people what the Democrats believe. Uh, you know, the liberals believe by something called the conservative whatever, and we don't do the vice versa. We don't teach them how what conservatives believe by the liberal something or whatever, by, you know, uh, Jezebel magazine is not, you know, an example of an objective source. I'm just going to go ahead and say that. Uh, but uh, I think another thing would be to, you know, teach them uh, political history and how Christians – have uh, dealt with uh, politics from different viewpoints. Because, you know, you see, for example, uh, the evangelical consensus actually on politics has, has widely differed in American history. Uh, if you study early American history, most of what we would call evangelicals were, were Jeffersonian Democrats, which, you know, Jeffersonian Democrats would have been small government, you know, uh, that, that, uh, states' rights very big push, uh, but then you have in the late 19th century, especially during the Industrial Revolution era, era almost all evangelical Christians. I mean, the the most common political perspective was being a uh, strong progressive. Uh, but then you have you know the then 20th century, which shifted a lot of that uh, to Christ. The evangelical perspective tended to be very conservative, and that doesn't say one of those perspectives is right or wrong, but it. Shows you, you know, the evangelical uh, viewpoint has been really mixed throughout history on this, and there is no Christian political party. There is no Christian approach to American politics. <laughs> you just you just shattered some people's world. No, I think that is really, really helpful to bring up there. And I've heard someone um, who lives in America, but who his growing up years were spent in another country and talked about the perspective of um, what most evangelicals tend to lean in, in his country. Um, and so it, it is interesting getting that outside perspective from your own. Uh, I think it requires curiosity and some work though, to not just go well, click on the news or the internet or whatever, and your favorite network or your favorite outlet that tends to be slanted. Now there are some resources out there. They're not on network TV, um, at least that I know of. They're more. You have to look for them. That they try to uh, 
yeah. tell you these are the facts. This is what's going on, and you you need to decide. Um, most of what's available for you know popular consumption is yeah. talking heads yelling at each other, and mm-hmm. you know um, that just does. It's not helpful. Yeah. It may be entertaining, but it's not helpful. All right. Well, it was a good discussion to have on a controversial topic. Uh, and so I hope that we haven't lost any listeners from this, but I think this is an important thing to engage as we disciple our families. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's, uh, I enjoyed it and hopefully it's helpful for the hooks. Well, thank you guys. And God bless. God bless. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Theological Family Ministry Podcast. If you have enjoyed this episode, please give us a review on iTunes and share the podcast with your friends on social media. All new episodes are available to listen to on Stitcher, SoundCloud, YouTube, Spreaker, and iTunes. We hope you have a great week, and join us again every first and third Thursday.